If you turn in your copy of God's Word to Matthew, you should find chapter 10 on page 969 of your pew Bibles. And we're here in the midst of Jesus sending out the 12 apostles. We started this passage last week and we'll continue it this week and, Lord willing, into next week as well. I'll be reading this morning, beginning at verse 16. Let's give attention to the very Word of God. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. As far on the reading of God's word, amen. Please be seated. Would you pray with me? Father and our God, we come to a full passage. And Jesus has said many things. Matthew has recorded them for us. And so, Father, we ask now for, by your Spirit that you would help us. Grant to us listening ears and seeing eyes. Help us, Lord God, to see our sin. 
but yet also help us, Father, to see all the promises which are yes and amen in Christ. Encourage your children this morning and give us a zeal to confess Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. If you remember a passage in the Gospel of Luke where a rich young ruler comes to the Lord Jesus Christ and asks that question, how may I inherit eternal life? The Lord Jesus Christ goes through the second table of the Ten Commandments and talks about not committing adultery and murder and stealing and bearing false witness and honoring your father and mother. And the rich young ruler says, I've done all these from my youth. And then he tells him, one thing you lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And if you know the account, the rich young ruler decides not to and goes back to his wealth. Consider what the rich young ruler would have encountered if he had sold his wealth and gave to the poor. Many would likely say, what are you doing? Have you lost your mind? Why are you giving away your treasure? And he would have been compelled to answer, because I have found someone better. I've been called to follow my Savior and my Lord. I can't wait to be with Jesus. He would have had to endure mocking and disparagement from others. But in doing so, the rich young ruler would have had to confess Christ. That was what Jesus was ultimately asking him to do. This morning, as we turn to the 10th chapter of Matthew, we're going to see this call to confess Christ. As we've been studying this book, we've seen in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' preaching about the light of the world, that we are to be that city set on a hill which cannot be hidden. He has taught that we are not to lay up treasures for ourselves on earth, but lay up treasures for ourselves in heaven. He's told his disciples not to be anxious about their lives that their Father would care for them. All of this forms a backdrop to our passage this morning in this 10th chapter. Jesus has called his disciples, and now he is sending them out. He's already told them that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And so we see the connection. Jesus is calling them as laborers, and he's telling them to now go out. He's told them to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and he's given them authority to raise the dead, heal the sick, and cleanse leopards, and cast out demons. And now we see here in this passage that despite persecution and suffering, sincere followers of Jesus will by grace confess him before others until the end. Despite persecution and suffering, sincere followers of Jesus will by grace confess him before others until the end. 
We'll see that in three points this morning. First, all questions, actually. Why confess Christ? Secondly, how to confess Christ? And then finally, what is the result of confessing Christ? It's a sense in which this passage is critical to our walk with Christ this morning. It tells us whether or not we are actually following Christ. And so it would call us to listen very carefully to the words of Christ this morning. Well, first then, why confess Christ? As we've already noted, Jesus has called His disciples, 12 of them, to go out. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And now He gives some details of their work. Look at verse 16. I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. You will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake. Jesus is now giving some additional instruction. And I say encouragement, you may not say that, but he's giving encouragement to his disciples as he sends them out to heal and proclaim the nearness of the kingdom of heaven. And interestingly enough, in this portion of the scripture, Jesus is telling his disciples that it's going to be difficult. He informs them that the task he's sending them out on, the work he's called them to, is going to be hard. You could summarize it in three words, dangerous, delivered, and despised. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. This was to tell these twelves the way in which they were to go out and what they were going to be going into. Not to go out as combatants, but to go out as kind and, and gentle, as sheep. To be wise. Wise as serpent, innocent as doves, and yet they'll be sending out, sent out into the midst of wolves. The work was so important. Lives were at stake. And now Jesus sends out his disciples, his close friends, as sheep into a wolf pack. So even though the disciples would be severely wounded, flogged, or even die, Jesus sends them on a dangerous task. And they would be delivered. See, this persecution wasn't merely a possibility. Jesus wasn't saying, well, you might be persecuted. You might suffer. No, he was saying, indeed, you, you will indeed suffer. This persecution will come to pass. These wolves will, in fact, bite. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and to flog you in their synagogues. You will be dragged before governors and kings when they deliver you over. Not if, but when. And as if this were not enough, Jesus was explaining to them that the organized church to which these twelve belonged, their own religious leaders of the day, would flog them or beat them. You'll be dragged before governors and kings. And if that were not enough, he tells them that they will be delivered by close relatives, not strangers. Brother will deliver brother over to death, father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. 
this would be heartbreaking. Not protected by close relatives. They would be delivered. And finally, they would be despised, hated by all. Look at verse 22. Jesus, Jesus does not mince words. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Hated by all. Because they're going out in his name. They're going out as ambassadors of Jesus. They're having Jesus' name, in a sense, stamped on their very beings as he's granted them authority to rule over evil spirits, illness, and death. He's granted them authority to proclaim the good news in his name. And so Jesus warns them that they'll be hated by all. Who would want to go? Would any of these twelve... Why would anyone want to go to be surrounded by wolves without some form of defense? Why would anyone go when flogging awaits them? Why would they go when they are assured of being wrongfully charged, dragged into the hands of the civil magistrates, even non-fearing, non-God-fearing men? Why would any want to confess Christ to proclaim his good news when it would bring such hatred upon them? It doesn't sound inviting. Imagine sitting down at a, a job interview where you're told, here's the work, and now here's what you can expect to receive. Not wages, give without pay. Danger, deliverance, despisements, beatings by religious leaders, hatred. Why would any of these 12 go? Why would any go in response to the call? There are at least three reasons. I know there are many more. But as we sit here this morning, I'd like us to think upon at least three reasons as to why anyone would want to confess Christ. First, because Christ went. All of these, the danger, the deliverance, the despisement, Jesus suffered through and endured. He even tells them, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher. Jesus has called these 12 to follow him. If you really want to follow Jesus, this is where he went. And Jesus suffered. He was flogged. He was scourged. He was delivered by the religious leaders. He was hated. He was disdained by them. He was mocked. He was disbelieved. And that's all before he gets to the cross. We may be asking ourselves this morning, why? Why was this necessary for Jesus, and why is it necessary for me if I want to follow Christ this morning? Well, the writer to the Hebrews 
sets it forth in one verse in chapter 2 at verse 10, for it was fitting that he, meaning Jesus, for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. God the Father making his son, I probably misspoke earlier, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. John Piper suggests that we should spend some time meditating upon this word fitting. It was fitting. Suffering causes one to rely and depend upon another. For Jesus, it was the Spirit of God. Suffering causes one to look away from self and to be thankful for the precious mercy of God. Suffering causes one to look away from the things of the world, for there's no relief or hope in the creation and only in the Creator. I think that's why. That's why it was fitting for Christ. And that's why it's fitting for us to suffer as we follow him. But second, because he's the Lord of your life and has called you. He called these disciples, go, go, proclaim as you go. Jesus is not merely Savior, he's also Lord. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead in your heart, you will be saved. What does it mean for you this morning that that Jesus is your Lord? The Greek lexicon says one who is in charge. And then it adds this, one who is in charge by virtue of possession. That's significant. One who's in charge of you because he owns you. He's bought you with a price. He has ransomed you by his blood. So now he owns you. And so you desire to please him because he's loved you with an everlasting love demonstrated through the cross at Calvary. It's exactly what is happening in the parable of the talents as as the talents are given out and and those with the five and, and the one with the two take them and use them. Why? Because they wanted to please their master. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. That's the idea of serving the Lord with joy. And then thirdly, and maybe most importantly, because because you as a follower of Christ, you as a Christian, you as one who has been delivered by Jesus, you desire to confess him. You see that that picture that Jesus paints of of their work as they go out and and of the wolves and of being flogged and being delivered over to the courts and, and being delivered over by your relatives to death. You confess him because you desire to do so. 
I think that's standing behind all of what Jesus is presenting to us this morning with regard to this task he's sending his disciples on. If Christ has saved you, if Christ has gone to the cross and taken your sins upon himself and suffered the eternal wrath of his Father in your place, then this will be on your heart. You'll want to tell others of your joy. You'll want others to know that about this one who has changed your life entirely, who's reoriented you from sin now to righteousness. That will be on your heart. We don't read anything of Jesus having to twist the arms of the disciples. I want you to go. You've got to go. Please go. No, no, no. No, there's nothing of the sort. Yes, we hear the warnings. Yes, there will be persecution. Yes, there will be beatings. Yes, there will be hatred. Yes, there will be unrighteous persecutions. We hear that. You know that. And yet, because Jesus has done this for you, you say, I've got to confess him. I desire to confess him. The one who's washed your feet with his blood. If you're loving him this morning, you will desire to confess him. That brings us to our second point, how to confess. We've answered that question, why? Why confess? But now how? And so now we see Jesus is sending out a particular group of men at a particular time in the history of redemption for a particular purpose. These 12, Jesus sent out and instructs them. These who he had taught, these who he was continuing to teach, to fish for men, they'd been given gifts, particular gifts, supernatural ability. And so we would not say, we would not say that this particular passage tells every single Christian that you need to go out and preach the gospel. It's not what this passage is telling us. But is it so limited that we cannot say that this is a general application to all of us this morning? And I would say no, not at all. Yes, there are those who are ordained to preach the Word of God, but every single Christian is called to confess Jesus Christ. Where do we see that? We see that in the Sermon on the Mount, already referenced this morning. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do you see? Do you see how Jesus, as Matthew records it, preaches something and now later on he's unfolding it a bit more? Let your light shine. Here, the good works given to you, prepared for you before eternity began, become the light of Christ. They become the way for you to confess Christ before others. Every single Christian is given good works to do. I tend to think that these good works are limited to special events, maybe the food pantry or English class. But every single Christian should be confessing Christ every single day. We should be engaging in good works every single day, not through special events. We should be shining the light of Christ as we confess Christ through our actions. 
driving is a favorite of mine to think about because I have such problems with it. But as we drive our car on the public roads, it is a confession of Christ, isn't it? Are we going to heed the laws implemented by the civil magistrates who have been put in place by God? It's a good work. It is a confession of Christ. Are you going to be patient as the light turns red when you're late? It's a confession of Christ. Who thinks of confessing Christ while you're driving a car? Likely few of us. But we do. What about answering the door? A salesman comes to your door wants to talk to you about having your roof inspected for repairs. You're usually immediately ready to shut it. But do you open it in the name of Christ? Do you open it so that you are seeing it as an opportunity to confess Christ, even though this one hasn't come to talk about Christ? Brothers and sisters, there will be opportunities for us to confess Christ in just the way we live every single day of our lives. And here Jesus tells us to do it without fear. So have no fear of them. Remember what he just said. Beware of men. I'm going to send you out in the midst of wolves. You're going to be flogged. And death awaits. So have no fear of them. Verse 26. Verse 28. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Consider Joshua and Caleb, as they had gone to spy out the land. They were in the minority. The majority of the spies were saying, don't go. This is a bad place. We're going to be devoured by those who live there. Let's go back to Egypt. And Joshua and Caleb said, no, 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 no. Remember the word of God. Remember what God has told us. Remember who's with us. And they were subjecting themselves to being stoned. But they weren't fearing those who could kill the body. They were fearing the one who had sent them into the promised land to spy it out. They were fearing the one who had protected them and who had promised this land for them. They were fearing the one who had given them his word. Brothers and sisters, in our corrupt sin nature, we are inclined to think about the thoughts of others. And so many times that directs how we act and behave. What do others think of me? Will I be included? Will I be accepted? These fears keep us from confessing Christ Jesus. And Jesus is saying here in this passage, as he goes to the extreme, do not fear those. You can fill in the blank. He's filled it in with death. Do not fear them. That's how we're to confess Christ. And we're to confess Christ with the fear of God. Look at verse 28. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Here is the one who cares for his children, so much so that he knows the number of hairs upon your head. And he's not going to let you fall. Might there be beatings? Yes. Might there be death? Yes. But 
Is the Father going to care for you? Fear not, therefore you are more valuable than many sparrows. Jesus is telling them that your Father will care for you. Just as those three went into the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they knew that God would care for them. They didn't know if they were going to survive the fire or not. But they knew that God would care for them. And that's the same concept, that's the same truth that Jesus is bringing out for each of us as we consider confessing Christ. Your Father will care for you. Have no fear of those. Fear Him. And do it continually. Did you see that? Verse 23, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The call to continue, the call not to stop. Yes, you'll be disappointed. Yes, you'll be discouraged. Yes, you'll have to shake the dust off your feet in some instances. But he says, keep on going. Keep on confessing Christ. That's the heart attitude. Christ is calling us to. Shining Christ forth daily in commonplace events of your life, in good works, without fear of what men think, and in the fear of the one who upholds and sustains you, the one who keeps you, and doing it continually. That's how to confess Jesus. Now, what is the result, our third head then? Well, very simply, Jesus is obeyed. Isn't that, isn't that the result? It doesn't end there, but isn't that the first result that our Lord and Savior, the one who has gone to the cross on our behalf for us, is obeyed? What was it that Jesus was saying about his food? My food is to do the will of him who sent me. Do we think of that when we think of Jesus as he calls us to go and confess him? That I'm being fed as I do his will. I'm being nourished as I go out and I talk to others about what Jesus has done in my heart as I do those good works before others. I'm being nourished by Christ, Jesus is obeyed. And then secondly, Jesus is confessed. Isn't that the result? Jesus is confessed. The world will hear. That's the result. Christ is not merely, and I put those words in quotation marks, confessed by a few professional laborers. We're just going to leave it to them. No, 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 no. Jesus has called all to confess him. Confessed not only by pastors and and preachers and theologians and evangelists. No, Christ is to be confessed by all of his followers. Not in the same manner. We've covered that. But nonetheless confessed. Think of that just for a moment. If all of us were intentionally, consciously, purposefully confessing Christ daily, how many would hear? How many would see? How many more would be saved? None, actually. God will save all 
his elect, whether you confess Jesus or not. This is not to say that God will not use your efforts in confessing Christ to bring someone savingly to Christ. He may, praise God. He may not, praise God. He will save each and every one that he has chosen, that he has elected in his way. And yet still he calls you to confess Christ. So you may be asking, well, what's the point? Well, first, to the extent that Jesus is confessed, he is exalted, the Father is glorified, and the Spirit is praised, and that is the point, isn't it? That's the goal, ultimately, to glorify our God. Regardless of whether your confession leads to someone who professes faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But please don't miss this, because there's another result. And here it is in verse 22. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. The one who endures to the end will be saved. In verse 32, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. You see, this passage really is all about the hearts of the disciples, isn't it? And as it's applied to us today, it's all about our hearts. As Jesus speaks of enduring to the end, endurance here includes at least in part, maybe in great part, confessing Christ. Endurance means, at least in part, to continue proclaiming the one who is Lord of your life. Endurance means, at least in part, to continue being that light which is not covered by a basket, but set on a hill for all to see. Endurance means at least in part not shirking away from confessing Christ Jesus as you're overcome by fear of what men might do to you or what men might think of you as you confess Christ. And so Jesus is saying that we must endure in this until the end. Now please hear this. This is not a statement of works righteousness. Jesus is not saying that you're saved by your work of confessing Christ. We know that. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Romans 3.20 But confessing Christ is a work of faith, is it not? It's a demonstration of faith, is it not? And thus to endure to the end must mean to continue in faith to the end. And so, as James tells us, if Jesus has saved you, if you are sincerely trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of your soul, if you've been justified by your faith, then you will want to continue to confess Christ as Lord and Savior to the end by the power of the Spirit who dwells in you. I think that's what Jesus means by enduring to the end. And here's the result. Jesus will confess you. 
think of that picture then just for a moment. On Judgment Day, on Judgment Day, Jesus will confess you as his own to the Father. He's doing that now if you're trusting in him. But on Judgment Day, when the sheep and the goats will be separated, when the sheep will go to eternal life with their Savior and the goats will go to eternal damnation outside of the presence of God, those who confessed Christ will be confessed by Jesus before God the Father. This should be of much encouragement to all Christians this morning, knowing that your Savior desires to confess you before his Father as one of his own. But there's a warning here as well. Whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. If you are here this morning and you do not know Christ and you have not confessed Christ Jesus, this warning is for you. If you're listening on the stream, if you're hearing this recording, this warning is for you. Whoever denies me before men, he will deny you before the Father. You'll be sent to hell and damnation. It's calling you. This warning is a calling to all those who have yet to confess Christ. And he's saying there's still time to run to him, to cast off your sins, to plead with him, to wash you clean in his blood, to allow you to come to the point to be given faith where you can confess him. So the call this morning is to heed that warning. Run to Christ and plead with him for forgiveness. Yes, despite persecution and suffering, sincere followers of Jesus will, by grace, confess him before others until the end. The rich young ruler did not want to confess Christ because Christ had not yet worked in his heart. Brothers and sisters, what a joy it is as he has worked in your hearts. Now we need to pray. The Lord would give us a zeal to truly confess Christ to the end. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for all of the truth in this passage. We thank you, Lord God, for this call, knowing that Jesus was sending out his 12, and yet, Lord God, we see this application to us this morning. And now we ask, Father, as you have worked in our hearts, granting us, giving us the gift of faith, now help us to use that faith to confess Christ. I thank you for the way Christ has been confessed. But Lord God, we ask, Help us to continue. Remove any fear we might have of men. Replace it, Lord God, with an even greater familial fear of you, knowing that you care for us. 
Grant us, Lord God, even more opportunities to confess Christ, whether we're driving or opening the front door or having a conversation at the food pantry. Lord God, help us. Help us to confess Christ. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.